0: Now, there's something else that I really want to highlight here. Have you noticed so far, we're three and a half years into the tribulation, and so far there has been no mention of the bride of Christ in this passage? Think about that for a second. You would think that during such a significant time on earth, we would get some information about the church. What's the church doing if the church is there at that time? And not only that, we would probably get some instruction On what we're supposed to do if we find ourselves in the middle of this, right? And and, and there's not a whisper from Jesus' church during these first three and a half years. And not only that, and I challenge you to look at this in in your own study time, but for the rest of the entire tribulation, all the way till you get through chapter 18, and then Jesus comes back, that's the next time we hear mention of the church, And so I say that to say that this is one of the most powerful evidences that I have seen that indicates that we, the body of Christ, have been evacuated already at some time previous before these events. You see, because the tribulation, one of the things that is being accomplished is the wrath of God is beginning to fall. But the church is not destined for wrath. The scripture said that over and over again. Jesus took the wrath that we deserve. And if we are in Christ, we are not under wrath. And I just want to say right now that if you are not in Christ, there's no reason for you not to be in Christ. He has made it very easy. And so if you are not a Christian, all you need to do, the Bible says, is to call upon the name of the Lord. Just believe in your heart about the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for our sins. Then turn from your sins and turn to him, and then you will not be under wrath either because he absorbed everything that we're seeing in the book of Revelation. He has already absorbed all that. If you want to know how bad it was for Jesus on the cross, look at how bad it was during the tribulation, how bad it is going to be during the tribulation because he absorbed everything that they're going through in the tribulation on the cross so that nobody would have to go through that but he gives us free will, amen? And so it's our own individual choice. But this whole thing about the church not being here, that's an important point that we don't want to miss. As I mentioned in a previous session, we should be prepared to go through the tribulation, amen? Because we're not infallible. We, don't, we could be incorrect in our understanding of this particular doctrine about the pre-tribulation rapture. So we need to be prepared in case... We find ourselves in the middle of the tribulation. However, we also need to understand that there really is compelling scriptural evidence that we won't be here. Amen? And so that's how we started our study of the tribulation. And then last time, after these rapid-fire judgments, it all, they almost take our breath away. Because they come so fast and they're so intense. And then all of a sudden, last time, chapter 7, we see it's almost like a divine pause button being pressed. And so we actually got to stop and and catch our breath because that judgment has been put on pause so we can be told about two significant groups. We met the 144,000, 12,000 Jewish believers from each of the tribes of Israel. How many people know God is not done with Israel? Amen. There's going to be a massive revival and we're seeing that even now among the Jewish people. The gospel is being preached stronger and with more uh, effectiveness in Israel right now than in any other time in human history. It's just one more sign that we are getting close, that everything is in place for these events that we're going to see. But we see this massive conversion. We see these 12,000 missionaries from each tribe. And... and, and we see that they are going to be out there proclaiming their Messiah. The thing about the Jews, if you look at it all throughout Scripture, it's like they miss the first time, and then they get it the second time. And when they get it, they're all in. And so when the the Jews see that the Antichrist... Reveals himself as the man of sin from the book of Daniel. And they're going to know that he's not the Messiah. They're going to understand that they missed their Messiah. And then they're going to be all in for their Messiah. And it's going to be powerful during that season. And so we meet these 144,000. We also looked at what various groups believe about them. But we stuck to the scripture and we see these are who the Bible say they are. Amen. 12,000 from each tribe. Then we see, through John's eyes, a multitude so great that nobody could number it. And so there's a group of distinct people, a group distinct from the church that comes out of the tribulation. They have been enduring horrific suffering. And now all of a sudden, they're in the presence of Jesus. And they're actually getting to lead a huge celebration. They're waving palm branches. And they're leading all of heaven In worship. By the way, what a time we're going to have in heaven. Amen. And it's crazy to think, but that day could be quicker, sooner than what any of us think. Amen. So it's important when we're seeing this and we're going through this book to actually see ourselves in the story. Because when you see those palm branches waving, and you see those elders hit the ground and you see the, the, the crowns being thrown to the ground. And you see myriads upon myriads of angels worshiping and singing to God. You need to see yourself in the middle of all that because that's where you're going to be if you put your trust in Christ. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be The greatest time ever, every single moment for eternity. And so that's the scene that we were left with, this massive celebration in heaven. Now tonight, we're going to shift back into preparation for the judgments. We're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 8. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to chapter 8. And chapter 8 can be outlined very easily. It can be outlined as follows. Uh, Verse 1 We're going to see the breaking of the seventh seal. Remember, we've seen six seals broken. Then we saw this pause. And now tonight we're going to see the seventh seal broken in verse 1. Then verses 2 through 6, we're going to see the preparation for the sounding of the trumpets. And this is something that we really want to take in because this is going to be a solemn ceremony that we're going to see. It's going to be a hushed, quiet ceremony awe-inspiring scene in heaven as they prepare for the sounding of the next set of judgments. And that's how we'll end tonight, verses 7 through 13. We'll see and hear the sounding of just the first four trumpets. So let's go ahead and start off our reading tonight with the first part of the chapter, the breaking of the seventh seal, chapter 8, verse 1. It reads, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Picture that for a moment. A holy hush settles over heaven. The best way to understand this seventh seal is that as it ends the seal judgments, it's like a bridge because it begins the next set of judgments, which are the trumpet judgments. Another way to think about the seventh seal is like, it's like a container And if you opened up the container and looked into it and started pulling stuff out of it, you'd pull out the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh seal opens up into the seven trumpet judgments. However you look at it, the bottom line is that when this seal is broken, it means that the seven trumpet judgments are about to begin. Now, did you notice what happened as soon as Jesus broke that seventh seal? It says that there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Let's talk about that silence just for a minute. John MacArthur says, the silence of awe and anticipation at the grim reality of the judgments that are about to be unleashed. There becomes a holy hush. It's a sober moment. It's important to realize Jesus is the judge. We know him As Savior and Lord, and we are in the age of grace. But it is very clear, he is also the one who will judge the world. So we're going to talk about judgment here in in just a minute. Now remember though, the four angels previously, before they sealed the 144,000, they had already stopped the wind from blowing on earth. Okay? So there's no wind blowing on earth. It's totally still. And now there's a cessation of all activity in heaven. This is the calm before the storm. This is a pause. It's a holy hush. And so we want to stop a moment and take in the significance. Because the next phase of the repossession of creation is about to begin. So it's a glorious moment. However, to complete that phase, there's going to need to be an increase in the intensity of the judgments. And we've talked about these judgments. They're spiritual alarm clocks meant to wake people up who have not yet woken up yet. And it's actually a sign of God's mercy because he could have just wiped everything out instantly, but he does it in these incremental judgments because there are still people, and he still sees in his omniscience, people who will still choose him. And so he lets it get as bad as it can get, where people will still, though, have a chance to turn. And so this is a very sober moment. It, that's what this silence is all about. Another thought on the silence. This silence is a time of grace. It's a time that God gives to the people of the earth as a time for them to respond to the events of the previous SEALs before the next round. Let me share a, a story with you that I believe illustrates this point. January 16th, 1991, 4.30 PM Eastern Standard Time, the combat phase of the first Gulf War that was fought to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait and liberate the people there, began. It started with what is known as the Air War, this was a massive 40-day air war. 40 days, Chuck, so 41 came, and the ground forces came in and liberated Kuwait, right? But there was a 40-day air war conducted by the U.S. Air Force along with a Confederation of Other Nations, and they conducted this massive air campaign against Iraq's military and civil infrastructure. And at this time, I was a young corporal and we had been rushed to the border of Iraq and Saudi Arabia. And so I would witness this massive air attack every single day and it was a cycle. It would go the same way every single day. The first thing that would happen would be we would see the psychological operations unit pull up next to our position and they had Humvees but these Humvees were really cool. They had massive loudspeakers on them. Have you ever seen those? where they've got these massive loudspeakers and they would pull up on the border of Iraq and Saudi Arabia and they would face the loudspeakers towards the Iraqi troops. and they would blast these these you could hear the, the speakers for miles and miles away and they would blast a message in Arabic directed at the Iraqi soldiers and they would tell them the following: They would tell them they're about to get bombed severely, okay? So they would tell them, take cover. And then they would tell them that after the bombing, there's going to be a lull in fire. There's going to be a period of time, several hours, where we're not going to bomb you. And during that time, if they wanted to survive, they needed to come out of their foxholes and walk towards the Americans. And then it told them how to surrender. It gave them instructions on how to surrender. And it was like clockwork. There would be this massive bombing. And we would see the B-52s come back. And then there would be a period of an hour or two. And next thing you know, we would see waves of Iraqi soldiers with their hands in the air coming to surrender. Guess what that was? That was a period of grace. That was a lull in fire and a period of grace for those Iraqi soldiers. And that lull in fire between the bombings reminds me of this 30 minutes of silence. There was just this massive judgment on the earth during the six seal judgments, and here's a window of grace for the people of the earth to come out of their foxholes with their hands up, right? And I believe many take the opportunity at this time because even at the end of time, God is still patient, amen? He is still saying, if you would just turn to me, Even now I will receive you. And he's saying that to us even now in the middle of this coronavirus civil unrest season that we're in. It is a shaking that's going on, but there are people that are waking up to the need, their need for God. Amen. And so we as Christians, we need to be on our game that we don't get caught up in the madness because we need to be looking for the people who are waking up so we can help them come to Jesus. Amen. Because God is patient. Aren't you glad he waited for us? Amen. He's still waiting. And there's millions out there that are going to come to him. But God does judge. But but God takes no pleasure in judging. That's the next point I want to make. As someone has said, the steps of God from mercy to judgment are always slow, reluctant, and measured. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 28-21, judgment is called God's strange work. And if anybody thinks that God is enjoying the fact that he's having to bring judgment on his creation, listen to Ezekiel speaking as God's mouthpiece. He says, this is God speaking, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Can you hear his heart? The New Living Translation puts it like this. I don't want you to die says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Now, that's the breaking of the seventh seal. Now we enter the second section of this chapter. This is now the preparation for the sounding of the seven trumpets. The Lamb has broken the seventh seal. There's silence for the space of 30 minutes. And now we begin to see silent activity in heaven. Visualize these events that we're about to read going on in total silence. Silence. Verses 2 and 3, John is watching, and he says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. So first John sees seven angels who stand before God. Does that term sound familiar to you? An angel that stands before God? Notice that phrase. One of these angels, based on that phrase, we can surmise is none other than Gabriel, right? Because if you remember in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, he tells Zacharias about John the Baptist. And Zacharias doubts. and, And Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Gabriel is one of those angels that gets to stand directly in God's presence. It must be a position of of enormous uh, humility for him to be able to stand there and an enormous privilege. Well, now we find out there's at least six more because there's seven angels who stand before God. They're going to be the ones that sound these trumpets. They're the ones that have been given this assignment. And then next, John sees another angel Who comes up to the altar and he has a golden censer. If you've ever seen a Catholic service or a Greek Orthodox service, you've seen a censer when they walk down the aisle and the smoke is coming out of that. That, That's all the censer is. It's a container in which incense is burned. Okay. And it says much incense was given to him. Why? So that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints. Think about that for a second. We're going to come back to that. But a good rule of thumb is whenever you see incense in the Bible, it usually is associated with prayer. Incense, it, 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 just like incense rises in, in the air and it emits a sweet-smelling aroma, so does our prayers as they come up before God. So our prayers are constantly being compared to incense. But that's what's happening here. The incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Picture that. And, and before we go on, before we move on to that, I just want to encourage you because sometimes it feels like our prayers are not going anywhere. Amen? Sometimes, sometimes does anybody besides me sometimes struggle with actually getting prayer out, without, with even praying, sometimes wrestling, right? The devil does not want you to know that your prayers are going up right before the presence of God. And we're going to see something happens when those prayers get in God's presence. So what we're seeing now is the beginning of the seven trumpet judgments. So let's take a moment now and talk about trumpets in the Bible. Trumpets in the Bible, uh, they're all through the Bible. And they're always there as kind of like a signal, a communication tool for one reason or another. Now, Nelson's New Illustration uh, Bible tells us this about trumpets. It says that trumpets in the Bible were used by the priests during services of sacrifice, especially to signal the Day of Atonement. What's interesting is that was just yesterday, Yom Kippur, right, the Day of Atonement. It was also used to rally troops on the battlefield. It was a signal. If you were in the middle of the fight and you heard the shofar, it was a, it was a signal to go and find your people, get back together, and reconstitute so you can keep fighting. And then uh, another thing, like I said, this is uh, the, the trumpet is called the shofar. The shofar was the greatest of the Jewish ritual instruments. Did anybody see uh, Jonathan's, Jonathan Kahn's message during the return this last Saturday. If you're not familiar, um, the return was an event held in Washington, D.C. this last weekend where thousands of Christians came from all over the country to repent and return to God on behalf of America. It was very powerful. And Jonathan Kahn was, was uh, the one that gave the message. And he gave a message which was just a call for everybody in our country to look around and see what's going on in our country and to take this moment and return to God. And it really was just to say we're at a crossroads. I just want to encourage us also, especially um, if you have been grieved about what's happening in our country and it's breaking your heart as it is mine. If you're a patriot, you see what's going on here and your heart's broken for America. I feel like God is saying, Don't lose hope. Don't give up on America. Keep praying. It may get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. And so the enemy doesn't want um, us. you know, you could, if you look in the natural, say things are over, right? That it's just too late. We've gone too far. But as long as the church is still in the land, there is still a chance for a great awakening. Amen? And so Jonathan Kahn's message was part of that. if you get a chance, go back out online and watch it because it was very powerful. While he was preaching and he was, he was talking about abortion and he prophesied to the Supreme Court, there was thunder from heaven. And he literally stopped in the middle of his message and said, that's not our sound effects. <laughs> so, but anyway, while he was preaching, all of a sudden there were several in the crowd that had brought shofars with him. And he was preaching about the shofar, call a solemn assembly, and blow the trumpet in Zion. And all of a sudden, you started hearing across Washington, D.C., for miles around, the shofars being blown. It was like a scene from the Old Testament. It was, like, powerful. But anyway, that's what the shofar is. The shofar basically was a signaling instrument that was used for three main things. It was used, number one, to assemble the army to sound an attack, and to sound an alarm. Those three things. And I think all three were done this weekend. Amen? We need to keep standing for America and not stop believing for a great awakening. Now, in addition, uh, the so far has also signaled peace, the new moon, the beginning of the Sabbath, the death of a dignitary. It was used for a lot of things. But in Revelation, trumpets primarily announce impending judgment. And these trumpets are of greater intensity than the seals. Remember, we talked about this incremental increase of judgment. The set of judgments that we're about to go through, what we're about to look at, it's going to mark the final season in earth's history that man will even have an opportunity to repent. With this series of judgments, we're rapidly approaching that pivotal moment Where everyone who is going to accept Christ will accept Christ. And those who will have hardened themselves so far that they'll take the mark of the beast. And we'll see. We're going to spend a lot of time when we get there. When they take the Antichrist's mark, either in their right hand or in their forehead, there will be absolutely no chance of repentance once that mark's taken. But believe me. It's going to come at the end of the end of the end. God is not looking to condemn and damn people. He's looking to save people. And so we'll really dig into that when we get there. Another interesting fact. The seventh trumpet will be announced with one of the key verses of the entire book. Revelation 11.15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world is has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. That's the end game. That's where we're heading. There's going to be this moment in time where there's going to be a massive transfer of power from the God of this world, little g, Satan, into Jesus. A couple more things about the trumpet judgments. Just like the seals took place during the first three and a half years, the trumpets are going to occur for a large portion of the final three and a half years. There will be a little sliver at the end of the seven years. For the bowl judgments. We'll talk about that when we get there. But the bowl judgments are going to be very quick. Because it's over at that point. Way to remember the judgments. The seals are severe. The trumpets are worse. But the bowls will be catastrophic. That will be end game right there. And just to give you the, the visual On the earth, what's happened is the abomination of desolation has just occurred. Abomination of desolation is where the Antichrist, in the middle of this seven-year peace treaty he makes with Israel, he will walk into the temple. So we know that the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and they will be doing sacrifices, okay? The Jewish people will, up until this point. And at the halfway mark, the Antichrist will walk into the temple will walk into the Holy of Holies where only God is supposed to be and he will say, you've been sacrificing to somebody you can't see. Here I am. You can now sacrifice to me. And it's the abomination of desolation. And at that time, that's when the Jewish people will know that this is the man of sin that Daniel prophesied. And that's when they'll turn to Christ. And that's when all hell is going to break. It wasn't bad enough. When that happens... Look out. That's why Jesus said, if you're in Jerusalem, get out of there. Don't even grab anything. Just go. You got to go, right? And so now, that's the scene on earth. Now, back to the scene in heaven. The seven angels now, they have the seven trumpets. And there's that other angel. He's got the censer with with incense. He's given a lot of incense. He adds it to the prayers of the saints. Let's pick up now verse 4. It says, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there are peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. So I don't want you to miss that right there. What happened to the prayers of the saints? They went up before God, but then... What happens after that? He takes the sensor, right, and he throws it to the earth. And that's showing us that your prayers cause things to happen. They leave you as a representative of God here on earth to go before God. And then once they get before God, they then initiate some kind of reaction here on earth. And it's important because it's important for us to see that connection because a lot of times we pray and we don't feel like we see, we're seeing anything. And so that gets us discouraged. But what we need to do at that moment is to keep pressing in, to hold fast our confession of faith and to double up our efforts, to not lose heart because it's more powerful than anything on the face of the planet. Is a, a, a member of the body of Christ Interceding because they're the only ones that have now been reconciled to God And so they're the only ones that have access to God and they're the only ones that can intercede on behalf of this planet For change and the devil doesn't want us to know that amen He'll get us distracted with a thousand other things because he never wants to see a child of God on their knees in prayer So this angel takes the censer, throws it to the earth And when he does, John hears the thunder, sees flashes of lightning. There's an earthquake. I mean, this is big stuff going on. Because those angels now, and you can picture them, it's like they've now stood at the position of attention. Because this is very military. If you really look at this, it's a very ceremonial. Have you ever seen the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? When they take these certain exact amount of steps and it's all precise and precision. That's what's happening here. And so now, this is epic. Phase 2 and the operation to dispossess Satan is now underway. So now we come now to the the final section of this chapter, the sounding of the first four trumpets. The silence is now going to be broken. The lull is over, and the judgments resume. Verse 7. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Okay, so that first angel now blows his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood falls on the earth, and in an instant, one-third of all earth's vegetation is gone. Picture those wildfires that we have going on and the way it's taking out vegetation like crazy. Picture that, but on a global scale, to the point where one-third of the earth's vegetation is gone. You can imagine what that's going to do to the environment, right, at that time. So even now the environment and the air and everything is is in in total disarray. Also, another thing you'll see here is another name for the trumpet judgments are the judgments of the thirds. Because you're going to see that one-third over and over again. And the reason why is because this isn't the complete and total judgment of the earth. This is still partial. Now, verses 8 and 9, it says... The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. All right, so now John describes something that looks like a great mountain burning with fire. When I read that, it looks to me like a volcano, right? But really, nobody knows what what exactly is that. Whatever it is, it takes out one-third of the sea creatures, one-third of the ships, and it also says one-third of the sea becomes blood. So things have definitely escalated. J. Vernon McGee has these thoughts to offer regarding this second trumpet. He says, there's no use to try to find some symbol. John doesn't say that this is symbolic. He makes it very clear that a great mass of force is put into the ocean. I do not know what this could possibly be, and there are two reasons for that. First of all, John didn't tell me. He didn't tell anybody, and therefore, I don't think that anyone has the answer. The second reason is that I don't expect to be here at that time to be reading the evening papers. The bad news that we get in the papers and on television today will continue, only more so during the Great Tribulation. I won't be here to see it. Therefore, this does not concern me too much other than it is an awful tragedy that is coming on the Christ-rejecting world which actually ridicules the Word of God today. This is something that certainly makes the believer sorrowful in his heart, but it ought to do more than that. It not only to affect our hearts, it ought also to affect our wills and our feet to start us moving to get the word of God out to the world. Can you say amen? Amen. And he goes on to say, that is our responsibility, and I believe it's a very solemn responsibility. We cannot keep this judgment from coming to earth, but we can get the word of God out and reduce the population that will be left on earth so that fewer people will go through this terrible time. Interesting take on it. Now the third angel, uh, the third trumpet, verses 10 and 11, it says, The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of this star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Wormwood means bitter. It's interesting, in the Russian Bible, this word is translated Chernobyl. If you remember, Chernobyl was where the site of that great nuclear disaster happened. Commentators think that this is either a meteor or possibly multiple nuclear warheads. What's interesting is that when this thing hits, it poisons one-third of the Earth's fresh water. All the rivers and the streams, one-third of them, are poisoned. And we all know that radiation from nuclear weapons could have that kind of effect, so it fits. Now let's go ahead and finish out tonight's study with the fourth trumpet and a warning. Verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. So the spiritual darkness that has gripped the earth is now also seen in creation. It looks like the light is starting to go out on planet earth. This is going to be a powerful picture to the people on the earth. Even the blessings of God's light is starting to be removed. We also know that that's going to have a massive effect on the environment. Are you seeing a theme here? God's creation is being judged. Again, hopefully it'll move many to return to him. And now we come to our last verse in this chapter, and it takes us aback when we stop and think about it. Verse 13, John says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So the eagle says, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Why? Because of those previous four judgments? which absolutely destroyed the earth's environment? No. They're not saying woe because of those. They're saying woe for the three remaining trumpet blasts. As we've seen, God's judgment has been slow in coming, and when it has come, it's been measured, and it has gradually increased in intensity. The mercy of God is still in view, even and especially during his judgment. But now we're getting to the point now, these final three trumpets are going to get just one more final level intense. Because this now is going to be that final moment where mankind will have a chance to repent. And then there'll come those seven bowl judgments. And what we can take away from this is that God extends the period of grace to the longest time possible. So that everybody who can possibly be saved will be saved. He's long suffering, not willing for any to perish. But again, it's all up to us. We have this crazy gift called free will, where we can make a sovereign decision to reject Christ's, what he accomplished for us on the cross. But God, that's not his will. He's long suffering, not willing. He's extending grace to each one of us right now. And so that brings us now to the end of our study tonight. We'll end with John, like John, waiting these remaining three trumpet judgments and wondering why they caused the eagle to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just a small spoiler on this. The first four trumpets have to do with the destruction of the environment. But the final three have to do with demonic devastation. Evil left unrestrained. Mankind has told God that we don't want you. And so they have, by their own free will, forced him out. And when you kick God out the front door, Satan comes in the back door, right? And this is at this time, it's going to be what it looks like. If evil was left totally unrestrained. And so we're getting really close to the end now. We're getting close to that final moment. And it's always darkest before the dawn. But just a little more darkness. And then we're going to see the son of man coming in the clouds. With great glory. And there's going to come a time that all of this is going to become a distant memory. But until then, and I just want to end on this note for encouragement for us, because we are in the middle of at least a a birth pain, at least a a spiritual earthquake that we're all enduring right now. I just want to encourage you that God has us. Amen. And we need to hold on to that. If, If the days get brighter, praise the Lord. If they do get darker, he still has us. Amen. And until that day, we have work to do. Let's not lose our focus even in the middle of it, but let's keep reaching out. Let's close on that note and pray.